Well, if you expected clarity and an elaborate presentation of what the Trinity is from today's readings, uh, you would have already been disappointed. Uh, the fact of the matter is, the word Trinity does not even appear in the Bible. Uh, what does appear in the Bible in wonderful and rich and diverse fashion is encounters with the living God that more and more emerge as encounters of a peculiar and diverse and various nature. Um, creator, Redeemer, Savior, Empowering Spirit or Cleansing Spirit. And uh, as the Bible um, comes to a close with the book of Revelation, who God is still remains mystery. And to this day and until the end of time, who God is or what God is will be mystery. In fact, to have the idea that somehow we could fully understand who our Creator is, is the highest act of arrogance and pride one can imagine. It's another attempt on our part to put ourselves at least alongside God, if not above God, by saying, I can describe Him wholly and completely. So in truth, for four centuries, 1st century A.D., 2nd century A.D., through the 4th century, 400 years longer than this nation has been established, early Christians tried to give a comprehensible, helpful understanding of who God is as revealed in Holy Scripture. It took four centuries finally to reduce it to some creedal statements, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, which is less familiar to most, but it's actually contained in our own Book of Common Prayer that uh, one can look that up sometimes. Uh, I may quote from it later. Uh, but finally distilling that God has revealed himself in the most mysterious of ways as the Father and as the Son and as the Spirit. He's all three, and yet he's one. What I love about this is the idea and the fascinating thought that Christianity stands unique and alone among all world religions. There is more and more a temptation today, it's sometimes called pluralism, is to put all religions on the same plane, on the same level. And if you want to be Buddhist, fine. If you want to be Hindu, fine. If you want to be um, Muslim, fine. If you want to be Christian, kind of choose your flavor. Whatever you grew up in, perhaps that's it. Uh, or maybe you're going to depart from that, but they all work. This is a place, when we speak of the Trinity, that makes Christianity stand out as unique and different. Other world religions will speak of one God. Or, other world religions will speak of many gods, like Hindu, Hinduism. We speak of both and say, and understand, and preach, and teach that both are true. One God, three persons. Three persons, all of whom are divine. So through the ages, individuals have made attempts to describe this to help us understand, comprehend something that we are not to understand nor comprehend, but sometimes we want to at least stir our imaginations, our minds to see how far can we get, kind of like trying to understand infinity. 
How can things just go on and on and not have a terminus? And you think about infinity for a while till you get tired of thinking about infinity. You kind of lay it down again. And yet you kind of know, you believe it to be true that there's no end. And yet it's just simply hard to understand that. So here are some thoughts from other wise people of other ages. Um, Callistus Ware describes the Trinity like this. God is the Father beyond us, the Son alongside of us, the Holy Spirit within us. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. One substance, three persons. Simon Tugwell, a favorite author of mine from the 20th century, writes of the Trinity like this. He is Father, source of all being and beauty and love, origin of all things. He is Son, eternal will of the Father, in whom all things were made. He is Spirit, the gift given to man whose name is Gift, poured out and distributed so that his very unity seems at stake. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. The Athanasian Creed works at it like this. This will bend your mind a bit. The faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. And also they are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. That's about a third of the Athanasian Creed. I won't, um, I'll spare you the rest. That's enough to try to wrap your head around that profound thought. Now, I will, uh, Tyler did an amazing thing this morning. He preached on uh, the Isaiah passage, uh, Isaiah's encounter with this living God. And uh, Tyler very masterfully actually disclosed the Trinity within that Isaiah story in a wonderful fashion. And I would invite you, if that piques your curiosity, to go to our website this week and listen to Tyler's sermon on this as well. While we focus in another uh, arena and more into the gospel in a few minutes. Fitz Allison, a retired bishop of this diocese, a retired bishop of the church, still living and well in his 80s, uh, says this to kind of finally broach this subject in a final way. This is in one of his books. Fitz writes, to begin with, the Trinity is primarily a fact and not a doctrine. 
And it is a fact which alone brings God down to our apprehension and into our experience. The Trinity is essentially God's name. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. And Fitz concludes, Scripture is clear, there is one God. So in this marvelous gospel passage this morning, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a man of the law, a man of the richness of the Judeo traditions, has been drawn to Jesus, listening to Jesus' teaching, witnessing his ministry, his ministry of healing, his ministry of exorcism, and he's very attracted to him, but also afraid of what his other fellow Pharisees will say. So he comes to Jesus at night, under cover of darkness, to speak to him. And here is one of the places in scriptures where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all spoken of as Jesus speaks of himself, speaks of his Father in heaven, and speaks of this curious third person, the Trinity himself. I mean, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit himself. And what Jesus tells Nicodemus is, you cannot make your way through this mystery on your own. You cannot make your way through this life on your own successfully. You cannot, Nicodemus and others, find your way unless you allow an outside influence to touch your life and heart. Jesus says you have to be born from above or you must be born again. That something must be done unto you, that you must allow something to be done unto you to allow God to enter in, for scales to fall from your eyes and for you to see. And in seeing, believe. Never necessarily understanding it all, but certainly believing it all, embracing it all, and living fully into this truth. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, you cannot enjoy the fullness of life in, his, in the kingdom, not talking about when you die and go to heaven, talking about the fullness of life that you can begin to taste now. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Something supernatural and from outside must be given to you. You must receive it from above. So Jesus says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's kind of a mystery when God touches our heart. And the great news is when he touches your heart once, you are more available to him after that. And he will touch your heart again. And he will touch your heart again, and your heart will be enlarged with the love of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, with the Spirit himself. I know, I've been on both sides of this. I've been my own wandering lost self. I've seen others who have remained wandering, lonely selves. I know a wonderful brother. I call him a brother, a spiritual brother. But he does not believe that Jesus is the way. 
I watched him on a Haiti mission trip as he was awed and amazed at the ministry of disciples on that Haiti mission trip, drawn towards it, but something blocking him from being born from above. That trip unfolded for seven days, awed and amazed by the love he witnessed, the joy and laughter of that community, the sharing of lives and sharing of lives with these Haitian brothers and sisters that we do annually. And at the end of the trip and our return home, he went his way. Even to this day, I've prayed for him. He hasn't received what Nicodemus was asking about. You can't make it on your own. You can pretend to make it on your own. You can pretend to be a seeker. God sees through all that. One day, perhaps, he'll be ready. Now, I know more of his life, been privileged to know some of that early life. And if I had grown up in the circumstances and situation he had grown up in, I expect I might be in those same shoes or could possibly be. I understand uh, it's a long ways from where he began to get where Jesus would have him come to him, to the Lord Jesus himself. That could be my story. I don't understand the mystery of the gift, the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ's love. But along the journey for me, God encounter, falling in love with the Lord Jesus, discovering the power of his spirit to cleanse my life, to renew my life, to empower my life. I, a very fragile child in many ways, paralyzed by shyness, bound by extreme introversion, locked in my own self, making my way through life externally in some fashion, but my interior life, very bound, very locked down. I can only say that the rescuer rescued me, and his Holy Spirit came to me, and I've never been the same. I know what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. I think Nicodemus got it that day too, or he got it later, for remember it was he who helped provide a grave for Jesus at his death to honor his body with a proper burial. Jesus continues in this story and says, you know, Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so that those who saw that visual, they actually were healed. It's a peculiar story in the Old Testament Although the people were being bitten by poisonous snakes and dying. And Moses actually lifts up um, uh, a staff and people look toward to it and a snake on the staff. And in that act of, uh, of uh, obedience to the Lord to do that and that act of, uh, of carrying that out, the people begin to be mysteriously healed from the snake bites and they're restored. But this goes even deeper here because Jesus says, let me tell you, I will be the one, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He'll be lifted up on a cross. That everyone who does believe may have eternal life, which means eternal life, the kingdom of life now. Because Jesus knows that sin bites like a snake. 
Sin bites our lives and cripples us and poisons us like a snake until we are dead. And Jesus says, but I am the one to be lifted up. And when you see me, when you see me, when you see me, and you know, then you are saved and rescued. So we come and end on that famous, famous passage that Jesus provides as teaching. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have life eternal. doesn't matter if we understand what the Trinity is. It does matter whether we believe who the Trinity is. It doesn't matter if we can reduce this to some logical, sensible explanation. It does matter if we can say, yes, Lord, I believe. Come into my heart. Change me more and more into your likeness. For he will make all the difference in the world. We've come to the end of a season's run. We've made our way from Christmas through Lent into Easter, crucifixion and resurrection, awaiting for Pentecost. Pentecost last Sunday, celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives in every age. And this Sunday is kind of a summary Sunday when it's all brought together under that one word. Yes, he is the Trinity, one God, three persons. You may know him in all three ways. Call out to him as your beloved, nurturing, caring father. Allow the Lord Jesus to be Savior in your life. And welcome the Holy Spirit for transformation and change. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, to this gathered community, Lord, may your Spirit fall fresh in you upon us this day. And Lord, may you enliven and quicken our faith, our trust, our belief, that we would more and more be bold in our witness, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the workplace, to ourselves and to others. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, may we be born again, born from above as your Spirit falls fresh and new upon us this day, even in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.